Support for A Life of Dogs is brought to you by Royal Canin. Royal Canin offers precise, effective nutrition for dogs based on size, age, breed, and to address specific needs. To learn more about Royal Canin, visit them on the web at royalcanin.com. And by Highland Canine Training, offering professional dog training solutions and premier canine education. Learn more at www.highlandcanine.com. Tell me when you got him. All right. All right, let's go. One, two, three. All right, so she rode here. Thanks for joining us for episode one of our second season. This episode contains curse words and graphic sounds. So if you're squeamish or have small children, this may not be the episode for you. From A Life of Dogs, I'm Jason Ferguson, and this is Battle for the Alley. My dad tells a story from when he was a cop in the city. They used to take the night shift rookies down the specific alleyway. And you would not be told why you were going down this alleyway, but just that you had to go and see it for yourself. As they turned down this tight corridor, there was two small ledges that ran on both the driver's side and the passenger's side at about head level. The driver would take the spotlight and kick it on and slowly pan from right to left. And when this happened, all of a sudden this onslaught of rats would come running at head level. This terrified most of the passengers of these squad cars. This alley became known as Rat Alley amongst cops working the night shift in the city. Meanwhile, it was actually called Rider's Alley, and the Rider's Alley that we were standing in front of 30 plus years later looked very different. This particular story begins in this same alley, Rider's Alley, on the lower east side of Manhattan. We train police dogs, detection dogs, search and rescue dogs, 
all this other like that was one of the most impressive displays <laughs> Yo, of working dogs. Look, it's oh, excitement yeah. in two seconds and it's over, bro. Yeah. You know? I know, but that was one of the most impressive displays of working uh, dogs. Where are you going, Jim? I have ever uh, seen. <laughs> you said well. The name of our group is the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society. And it's cleverly designed to parse the acronym RATS. And uh, it's been around for, oh, I don't know, about 30 years at this point. So the funny name comes from the fact that uh, back in the old days when dogs, specifically hounds, uh, were hunted in packs, some of them lived in packs and lived in kennels, the hunt kennels, if you had a few bucks. If you didn't, the individual hunters kept the dogs and they came only when they were going to hunt together. Uh, they were fed from trenchers and it was called a trencher fed pack. So that's where the trencher comes from. That's a trencher is actually a funny looking wooden bowl. Uh, Rider's Alley is pretty simplistic. It's an alley in lower Manhattan. It, it actually was the place where the American Revolution started. Uh, the folks that lived in the neighborhood weren't all that friendly with the British and they were kind of surly and uh, uh, intractable. So uh, Rider's Alley was a hotbed of revolution and uh, it was also not only the birthplace of the revolution but the birthplace of rats. Thousands of rats. There's no way that I can adequately describe to you the amount of rats that used to be in Rider's Alley. And if you take a one block street and populate it with thousands of rats, you don't begin to have an idea how many rats were in that particular alley. People have written books on it. Well, not too far away from there, there was a gentleman by the name of Kit Burns that had a little business establishment that was known as a rat pit. And we've gotten up to about 1870 at this point. And not very far away from uh, Ryder's Alley was Kit Burns Rat Pit on Water Street. And as this picture shows you, uh, you've got a lot of very high class gentlemen with their top hats willing to part with money uh, based on how many rats a terrier could kill in a certain amount of time. And it actually figured heavily in the development of sports in New York City, but that's another story for another time. The record, by the way, was held by a terrier by the name of Billy who killed a hundred rats in six minutes and 25 seconds. I, I don't know how much money transpired in that, but that was it. Well, People have been rat hunting for a long time, and it was a family thing. And you see this handsome little kid over here on the side with his rat stick and his uh, shaggy dog. Well, not much has changed. We still have a kid with a rat stick and a shaggy dog, but it's a few centuries later and a, a little different thing, but we're still operating basically the same way we did back in the, the old days. Rat catchers have always been the unsung heroes. That was Richard Reynolds, the founder of the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society. Rats is a group of volunteer, terrier-wielding vigilantes 
who hunt rats throughout the city of New York on most weekends. Well, I've always lived in New York, uh, but I've always had a country heart and I've always been a dog person. Uh, I started out to be a veterinarian and uh, realized real early that I didn't have the, the heart for that. So I've had my dogs, I've been involved in dog shows, I'm a dog show judge uh, and travel heavily for that. Uh, terriers are uh, a natural adjunct to fox hunting. Uh, when the fox is run to ground by the hounds, the terriers are put down to start the game all over again. Bolt the fox. So I got into terriers from that. And then when I gave up the, the fox hunt, I needed something to do. I lived in New York and we got plenty of rats. So. Being dog people is about the only thing that this group has in common. This entire group comes from completely different career paths, highly educated people. It, these guys are unsuspecting, and you would never be able to pick them off the street as these people go out in the middle of the night and chase rats around in the garbage and trash cans. People ask how many members do we have. Well, we don't have any. Uh, there are about 65 people on our mailing list and we limit it to eight dogs. So we don't really know. It, it comes and goes and some nights are oversubscribed and some nights are, are slim. Uh, do the rats people have day jobs? Well, yeah. We've got an ER physician, an editor, publisher, veterinarians, tax consultant, vet techs, wine importer, archaeologist, pharmacologist, building superintendent, police chief, security engineer, attorneys, biologists, and animal behaviorists, among others. So we're all really a bunch of amateurs. They're all hardcore dog people, though. Not everyone in this group gets into it because they know that they're destined to hunt rats. Some of the members actually got into it by accident. This part of the story comes from Jason Rivera. And that's why we. I, that's why I do this. I, I got into this by accident. You know, a guy sold me this dog, and and, I, and it was, was killing everything in sight. And I was like, what, "What's wrong?" I thought I had a bad dog, so I read up on it, made some friends, and then I realized. And then I saw these guys on TV. And I said, "Well, this is perfect," you know. Yeah. So I, and then this. Pete, Pete threw you on, right? Yeah, Pete threw me on, and it, it turns out we all know the same people. Yeah, yeah. Like, I got this dog from a guy that he knows, and he knows this guy and this guy, and we all, it's like a little community of Patterdale Terriers, you know? And uh, he helps me out a lot, because he's a real, this guy's a real dog guy right here. I'm not a dog guy, he's a dog guy. Yeah, you are, bro, you do your you know? thing. And he's got, you know, he's got a great, that's a great dog right there, you know? And she's a natural. Jason tells the story about how he's struggling with Coco in a, a pet home environment, because she doesn't have a job or any form of, like, real mental stimulation. And, and you hear him say that she, he thinks that he's got a bad dog. It's when in reality, it's he has an ideal candidate for it's a prime terrier working dog. Patterdeers are not the only terriers that we saw out on the hunt. We saw a variety of different types of dogs, including a couple of mixes. Here, Richard explains the different types of dogs and why they excel at what they do. Well, a little bit of Brit speak for you. When we say working terriers, we're talking about pursuing quarry underground, and that's not what we're doing tonight. We're 
pursuing them above ground, so it's not really working terriers. And the rats team consists of basic uh, variety of breeds. Uh, we have a Norfolk Terrier, American Hunt Terrier, Jack Russell Terrier, Cairn Terrier, Border Terrier, West Highland White Terrier, Bedlington Terrier, Mountain Feist, Patterdale Terrier, Manchester Terrier, Yacht Terrier, and Dachshunds. So you have the whole crew. Uh, deal a little bit about the breeds here, the Border Terriers, uh, they hunt with a pack and the foot packs of the fells and they have their little thing. Bedlington Terriers were originally bred for poaching. Uh, we don't have one out with us tonight. Uh, Yacht Terriers are a German creation and we won't deal with them. You'll see two of them later on tonight. Uh, it, it, they're a, a device of the devil. Uh, and if you anything bad you can say about a dog, you can say it about the Yacht Terrier. Uh, if you're a person, you're fine. If you're another dog, you're fine. Anything else has just naturally got to die. So they're a supreme hunting terrier. But a true working terrier is a combination of basic instinct, training, and experience. And we use the basic instinct is bred in. Training, we use some of the American Kennel Club performance tests. And experience can last from zero to a year before a dog catches on. And sometimes, it's uh, depending on the breed, it's slow. Uh, dogs' basic uh, instinct ranges from an alligator, uh, which is the Patterdale and the Yacht Terrier, to uh, an absolute couch potato, which is the French Bulldog and the Norwich Terrier. Sitting here in the middle of about seven of the best rat terriers on the face of this earth. And if you'll notice, the, the, a certain few dogs caught most of the rats, but every last one of them was put to them by this one, or one of the other short-legged guys. So it's a team effort, and uh, one can't do it without the other. Very shortly into the night, it came very apparent that there were two main roles on the hunters that were going on here. And I really wanted to find out what went into the training of these dogs to teach them these roles. In this next part, Richard describes how these roles are established. The dog will, over a period of time, pick out a job. And uh, you can't really force them into it. Mm -hmm. uh, they are what they are. And if they're going to be a catch dog, then they identify with using their eyes and they're fast. Uh, if they're going to be a push dog, all they want to do is use that nose. And, you can, I've got a Bedlington Terrier and the rat can run right in front of him. If he doesn't smell it, he's not going to do anything. Trash pile. And the number of rats. And the number of rats that came out of it. That was it. Had to have been at least eight or nine that came out of that one pile. Yeah, yeah. And then there was four or five that came out of that little trash pit. Yeah. I mean, it's, they don't worry about stacking on top of it. I mean, Ratzilla came out of that. Go. <laughs> 
little bit of background information here on the rat issue in New York City. New York City has been deemed the third most rat-infested city in all of America. And as you may ask the question of how did it get so bad? As more and more young people move into the city and gentrify the neighborhoods, the need for expansion is ever increasing. Jimmy, Jimmy was just talking about is that it's, he was saying that now it's Brooklyn has the most rat complaints out of any of the boroughs. Because it's, as younger, it's younger crowds move in, the neighborhoods start to get gentrified and they start to expand on the housing that is there. It's go taller up, put in underground parking garages. It's bringing up all these subterraneous rats. So now, all of a sudden, it's you have these it, people are now complaining about rats being there when they never used to complain. And now it's all of these underground rats are getting pushed to the surface and wreaking havoc. So, so watch out, Brooklyn. Well, if you're in Brooklyn, I'm sure you already know at this point. But we see you, Brooklyn. <laughs> rats, rats are coming. More people means more trash. Rat complaints soared through the roof, increasing by over 25%. The city had to take official action. In 2017, Mayor Bill de Blasio launched a $32 million campaign to reduce the rat population by over 70%. His two main targets were the rat's food sources and available living habitats. His plan included the purchase of 336 trash cans priced at over $7,000 a piece, $16.3 million to replace the dirt basements of New York City's public housing buildings with a concrete rat pad. $8.8 million invested into trash compactors to properly store and dispose of waste. Plans were also implemented to improve trash management and pickups as well as harshen the penalties for those who did not follow the rules. De Blasio attempted to fumigate the rat burrows by filling rat holes with dry ice, which only drove the rats elsewhere. His plan was set to finish in the end of 2017. This was sadly not enough. Trash continued to pile up, eventually burying the $7,000 trash cans. We visited the rats group in December of 2019. The rat population is still visibly abundant. And people ask, why is it that rats have survived for so many years uh, in every environment known to man? I mean, from China to Sweden to everywhere. Single pair of rats today. Uh, a female rat comes into season every three days. And she's going to get bred. The gestation period is 21 to 23 days, the average litter is 10 to 12, and they reach sexual maturity in 5 to 6 weeks. Now if you're a little slow on the mathematics, 365 days, 24,000 rats. So the rat that you take tonight, the two rats that you take tonight, if they weren't taken tonight, we'd have 24,000 a year from now. 
If you set rat traps, your rate of return on trapping is 4%, no matter what kind of trap you set, where you set it, whatever. If you set 100 traps tonight, you're going to get four rats. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Ready? There it goes. Oh, ready to smile. Good boy. Good boy. When the mission of your organization involves killing other animals, what kind of backlash do you get? And what does the community you work in seem to think about what you do? Find out the answers to this and more when we hit the streets of New York City with rats as our show continues. Royal Canin delivers precise nutritional solutions so your dog can perform at their very best level. To achieve a perfect balance of nutrients for each dog, they rely on an extensive network of canine experts from across the globe, including veterinarians, universities, dog professionals, and their own research and development center in France. Royal Canin helps your dogs train and perform at their full potential. To learn more about Royal Canin, visit them on the web at royalcanin.com. Highland Canine Training is one of the largest and most respected professional dog training companies in the southeastern United States. Founded in 2006, Highland Canine Training offers quality working dogs to meet the increasingly demanding requirements of today's military and law enforcement agencies. They also offer first-class canine education programs at their school for dog trainers. So far, they've hosted students from over 30 different countries. The School for Dog Trainers offers affordable financing and accepts GI Bill and VA benefits. The Service Dog Training Division at Highland Canine Training develops and trains some of the best service dogs in the industry and offers worldwide delivery. Their commitment to customer service and support continues to set them apart from the competition and makes them a leader in the industry. Visit highlandcanine.com or call 866-200 2207 to learn more and see the difference. shunning all publicity and we got nowhere very quickly and when we finally came out of our shell and said we're not afraid of backlash anymore uh, it just kind of took off and we got internationally recognized and it's been very very successful well the New York Times did an article on us with a lovely two-page spread and in the course of doing that they went to PETA people for the ethical treatment of animals and asked PETA what they thought of it, and PETA said, 
This is nothing more than a twisted blood sport masquerading as rodent control. And they came back and asked me for rebuttal. I said, yeah, sounds about right. So that was the end of that discussion. You have to go to Baruch houses on Baruch Drive. The they're not here, Baruch. they're over there. We're making our way around. Okay, make a right and then a right down Baruch Drive. Literally, every single person I come in contact on the street, like, uh, it's, this is not like, it's, it's, this is not just like a coincidence or like one or two people like know about these people. Uh, literally every single pedestrian, passerby, civilian that we've seen, it's every single one of them. It's, are you the rat people? Are you guys the one, it's the one with the, the rat dogs? Every single person out here knows who these guys are and they're like, legends that's, that they are the infamous rat people of New York City it's um, unbelievable how does the public feel about our murderous forays uh, they're our biggest champion and people say why can't I just take my dog and go kill rats in New York City try it uh, we have a tremendous support base and uh, if somebody comes along and we're hunting busily, we stop hunting, let the dogs go play with the people. They're more important to us than killing a couple rats. So we, we have a good reputation we want to preserve it. Absolutely heroic what you guys are doing uh, because this area has like, you know, huge rat problems. I had to come in here, I don't know how many months ago, and deal with a, a mouse climbing up my girlfriend's wall, scaring the entire family. Me, I had to deal with that. Me in the actual apartment? Yeah. And in this construction, it, like a thousand times worse, so. Yeah. You know. Chase the rats. Chase the rats? Yeah, they get it. Like, uh, what's his name? Rasto? Yeah. With the bed bugs. Oh, that's yes, right. Paco, yeah. Hey, Paco, what's happening? Yeah, he's kind, he's he smelling. Look at little big boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. Yeah. As many as we could. You know, they yeah, hide. That's, that's good, good. That's, good. that's good, that's good. Appreciate it, guys. Yo, awesome. get the rat. Yo, get the rat. The, the real rat and the other rat. <laughs>
Would I want to be a terrier bait? No, but if you gave me a choice of the three ways to go, I'll take the Richard brings up an interesting point here about the lesser of three evils. When we think of ratting terriers, we don't oftentimes think about them working in the context of city streets. But in reality, these are the same dogs that have been bred for hundreds of years for a specific working purpose, and they are extremely good at that job. Getting out and watching these dogs do the job on the streets was one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten to experience as a dog trainer. It's really interesting to see literal hundreds of years of domestication come into play in a back alley somewhere in the projects of Manhattan. It was an incredible opportunity, and as far as working dogs go, it was one of the most impressive demonstrations I've seen in my entire career. Okay, okay, come on, let go. As our night began, it became readily apparent that we were not going to be hunting for rats in abandoned industrial complexes and back alleys. Where we found ourselves were in city parks where children were supposed to be playing, and in apartment complexes where people lived. We were very close to the public. If you stood still long enough and looked down the sidewalk, sooner or later you'd catch a glimpse of a rat crossing the street. They were not afraid of humans. They were not afraid to show themselves. They were there. So yeah, I, I, I have a fairly warped outlook on life at this point, and I, I look for rat holes, I look for rat infestations, and I see rats where the average person won't. Uh, I was talking to one lady with one of the community gardens, and she said, well, I'm sorry, there, there's no rats here tonight. And I'm looking around, the trees are full of them, the bushes are full of them. This lady can't see it. Spotting the rats became something that you could not unsee. Once you had that lens pulled over your eye, there was no going back. You can tell that these guys had experience as we were walking around with them because they knew exactly where the rats would be and the paths that they would take. 
The group travels all over. They're not restricted to just the island of Manhattan. They go to other parts of New York, as well as different states. I'm here, incoming, coming in! Coming in! Inbound! story mm -hmm. and we claim it as failure because once we clean out an area we can't hunt there yeah, anymore. yeah yeah so what you're asking me to do is to uh, itemize the places we don't hunt anymore and I wish I could lay claim to removing or managing all the rats but we can't there's a variety of reasons we're only a, an infinitesimal part of it uh, we began hunting in Liberty State Park, which is in, on the Jersey side of New York Harbor. And we hunted there at the request of their superintendent for years. And we just happily did about a four mile walk and cleaned out the trash cans and had a fine old time. And on 9-11-2001, things changed here. And uh, that park became a morgue for the uh, victims of the, the World Trade Center. So we didn't hunt there anymore. Uh, we went to Ellis Island and hunted there for a while. But uh, well, eventually you manage the rats and you talk yourself out of business. So at that point we came to New York in quest of places and there was a an author by the name of Robert Sullivan that said, well, why don't you try a couple of these places? And he directed us to some absolutely lovely hunting grounds. But uh, as time as time goes on, these places become gentrified and cleaned up, and that's what happened down there, so we moved uptown. And uh, now we go a little bit all over the place. We range from Boston to Washington. And we have a splinter group in, in Washington, D.C., and we have a splinter group in Boston. But we go and help them out every now and then just to to put things in perspective here, this is not your average kitchen mouse that we are talking about. The largest rat that they had caught in the past was over 850 grams. That's close to 2 pounds. These 2 pound monster rats can be up to 11 inches long, excluding the tail, and they're not going down without a fight. This is where the human element comes in, because even the most experienced dogs need some help sometimes. Yo, look at the fucking head! Boy. Uh, yo, let's go. We gotta follow these routes, Jay. Let's go in and around, man. Because we're missing too much shit, man. You should be walking here a little.
Help from humans came in a variety of different forms. For example, one of the members, Bill, would go out up ahead and scope out the areas that the dogs would be hunting and place strategic cardboard blockers to keep the rats from traveling down it predicted escape routes. These cardboard blockers would give the dogs an extra half second to grab the rat before it escaped. Other help came in the form of shaking trash bins or kicking trash bags. Some of the kicks were a little bit more unconventional than others. Did you kick it? <laughs> yeah, back under the gate. Because I saw it come this way. And then, and then she, when you kicked it back, she grabbed it. <laughs> <laughs> Off the rebound. Each new location that they went to, they would come up with a new customized plan of attack. Its exit routes were covered, entryways were covered, there was a dog for every inch of ground that the rats would travel. Both humans and dogs made every effort to catch every single rat they could before they got away. Oftentimes, dogs catching more than one rat. Yo, hold up, hold up. Listen, listen, guys, guys. There's a shit ton of garbage and there's going to be a shit ton of rats. Hold up. We got to get in that fence. Once we get in that fence, then you guys go near the garbage. Don't, don't go near that garbage yet. What are you doing? Jay, don't go, near, don't go near that garbage yet. I want to get a couple of guys inside that fence. Where's uh, Abby? Abby, come with me. Oh, wait, first let's hit this. No mice. Public disgust and fear of rats dates back to the Dark Ages when they were a major carrier of the bubonic plague. Modern day rats are no cleaner. They're just as much as a carrier of disease and viruses as they were back then. Which raises the question, are they still worried about rat-borne illnesses being transferred to the dogs in this day and age? Are we afraid of disease? Well, yeah. Uh, we have uh, rampant leptospirosis in New York City, and lepto by its nature uh, morphs itself about every 20 minutes. So there's a vaccine out that theoretically protects against four serovars of lepto, where there are more than 260 known. So there's no real way you can prevent uh, exposure and the dogs fortunately pick up a natural immunity very quickly. So when our dogs go into the vet, we get, oh, your dog's showing leptoantibodies. Yeah, we know. 
they, they, they carry a natural immunity. So we've never had a sick dog in 30 years. Uh, on the other hand, if we see signs of uh, a lepto, lepto moves in waves just like the rats do. And uh, if we see signs, then we go hunt somewhere else. The other interesting thing that talking to Richard made me think about was how it's being out here and it's kind of exposing the dogs to small uh, small amounts of like leptospirosis is having these dogs build up a natural immunity. It's is there a way that taking blood samples from these dogs that have this natural immunity, they can create more accurate vaccines and not just guesswork. Because again, leptospirosis is kind of like the flu where the, the vaccines for that season, they kind of guess on these four or five are gonna be the most popular. So, food for thought. It's impressive that in over 30 years of doing this, Richard hasn't had one dog on his team get sick. But that's not to say that this line of work doesn't come with its own set of hazards. Well, it's 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 cl it's clogging up now, but she's been bitten the mouth, she's been bitten on the you chin. Know what I should bring next time. I should bring a styptic pencil. You know what yeah, I mean? You know yeah. those things. You stick it right on there. And yeah. It, just, it makes it clog. Well, like my male got the, the rat pulled a chunk out of his. No, he he bled for a, a minute. Yeah, that. But huh? Yeah. Well, you want them to bleed a little bit so everything comes out. You yeah, know what I mean? when you're ready, you yeah, stop right, it on there. Right. Hey, you got one? One of the questions we had early on was, after a night of going around and hunting rats, what do you do with all of the dead that you collect? Do you leave them where you found them? Do you bring them with you? Do you taxiderming them and add them to some sort of weird collection? In this next clip, Richard tells us exactly what he does. What do we do with the dead rats? Well, sometimes we freeze them and feed them to our falconer friends. They, they feed the birds in the winter with them. Uh, some go to Fordham for further study. We think it's kind of neat. The 18th century terrier work supports 21st century science research, and we participated with Fordham University uh, in a study to uh, try and determine the rat reservoirs in the city and the migration patterns of rats when they left the reservoirs, uh, we provided their DNA samples. So where they were getting, they were trying to trap them getting nothing, we would give them 60, 70 rat samples a, a night. And so we had a long and wonderful friendship, still do. Uh, we also have provided uh, DNA samples from to Columbia University in, in disease studies and everything else. And one of you will have the joy of carrying the rat bag tonight. So. Go! Go! Tag them and bag them! Go! Yo, heads up guys! Rat coming out! Alright. Oh, when we were first introduced to the rat bag, we had many questions as to what it actually was. And it needs very little explanation. It's literally, it's a reusable grocery bag that 
the group collects and places their dead rats in. And that's the rat bag. And it's throughout the night we became very familiar with the rat bag. My rat bag is getting heavy. At this point in our story, you may be asking yourself, what on earth would motivate these people to do something like this? The answer is more simple than you would expect. The group has made it its goal to preserve the working characteristics of many terrier breeds. And as you will hear, they are 100% dedicated to this cause. Yo, the reason, the reason I got my female What's to breed him to her? Because I waited a long time to find the blood I wanted. So, he's frozen. So I'm not breeding her until she's four. I want to make sure she's got a lot more work to put in before she has a litter. And, you know, you always want to wait on a, on a bitch if you can. For a couple of years, you want, to, you want her to make sure everything sounds, you know, health-wise right. So, I have him collected at least seven times. I got enough for about 15 litters. So he'll be long dead and I can still breathe. Him. People ask why we do it. Well, the secret is that we do it to identify and preserve the unique working qualities of the terrier breeds. We're all dog people. It's not what sells. Dead rats sell. So we're shamelessly using the fact that we're hunting rats in an urban environment to promote the working abilities of the dogs themselves. That's where we're coming from. Uh, some of us are dog show people, and we get a bad rap of doing evil things in our breeding of dogs and so forth, but the fact of the matter is that we're right out there in the trenches trying to preserve the working qualities of these breeds. And get up. All the warrants are gone. Get up. There you go, right there. He got nice. it. Nice, nice, nice. Shake it up, good boy. Got a boy. He caught it right by the head, too. From the crew here at Life of Dogs, we would just like to take a moment to talk about the members of the group and the amount of credit that they deserve for what they do. This is a group of unpaid volunteers that dedicates their nights and weekends to not only lowering the rat population of the streets of New York City, but also furthering and preserving terrier breeds as a whole. They welcomed us with open arms and showed us one hell of a good time. We would like to thank you for all of your service to both the canine and the human community. A warning to all rats in New York City. You may be able to stomach the poison, outsmart the traps, but eventually these guys will find you. Let's face it, what we do is fun. It's fun for us, it's fun for the dogs. It's a crazy hobby, man, but it is fun. Man. It's exciting, you know what I'm saying? So much fun. Hunting is good, yo, hunting is good no matter what level.
This episode was produced by Jason Perguson, Aaron Perguson, Greg Vaughn, and Abby Trogdon. Our website, alifeofdogs.com. Support for this episode of A Life of Dogs comes from Royal Canaan. Learn more at royalcanaan.com. We want to send out a special thanks to Richard Reynolds, Bill Reyna, Jimmy Hoffman, Jason Rivera, Eli, Will, and the rest of the Rats crew for inviting us behind the scenes and sharing their stories with us. We hope you enjoyed episode one of our second season. Our crew here has really put in a ton of work to make the second season even better than the first. When we talked about first doing this story and I told the crew that we were headed to New York, their response was, hey, buddy. I'm Jason Ferguson. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for episode two of our second season, where we share more stories of a life of dogs.